Hi, everybody. And if you're just tuning in, you are listening live to the Angel Rock on, out of New Orleans, Louisiana on United Public Radio Network. I'm your host, Laura Lee Potvin. If you've never been to my show before, welcome. If you are returning, thank you for your support. We consider you part of the UPRN and Angel Rock family. And I'm in my new permanent spot. For those of you that may miss this, I want to remind you, if somebody lets you know, I also try and post the replay link. There's always a replay of available always whether it's on youtube soundcloud spreaker spotify uh let me think what else here we've got podbean anywhere where podcasts and talk radio is are carried we have those shows hey dave welcome uh, a little bit about my show i say i cover all aspects of the supernatural as well as a few things like um I hate the word conspiracy theory. Let's just say truth seeking, a little bit of activism. I do all kinds of things, but I always feature people from regular walks of life through what they're doing, either extracurricularly or professionally. They are making a positive change for humanity. Now, my guest this evening is somebody that falls right into that category. He's a favorite of the show. He's been on here quite a few times. I'd have him on every week if I could. He is involved with the paranormal. He does a phenomenal podcast called Dark Hour Paranormal. I believe he's also involved. I'll let him tell you a little bit about the podcast, I believe, with Goofon um, and many others in the UFO community. He's a musician. He's even an amateur um, magician, I heard from the last time I was on his show. We have Michael Roser back on the show. Welcome, Michael. Well, thank you very much, Laura Lee. It's fantastic <coughs> to be back. And of course, it's been too long. Uh, I know. And so much happens within the progressive time here, especially when you're busy working out in the field and, of course, mm -hmm. doing the interviews that we do. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, some of the affiliations that I have held for some time now, uh, Gufan, as you mentioned, Rich Giordano, mm -hmm. uh, Third Phase of Moon. That, of I know the, the name. It yep. just... I missed it when I was saying out loud, so I knew you'd tell me. Go ahead, carry on. People no, want to hear about that's this. quite all right. It's quite all right. Uh, we have a very fantastic panel that Third Phase has put together. Uh, I mean, all these notable people that have been in the field for a very long time. Of course, myself and Rich uh, certainly included Apollo Steria. Uh, you have Dr. J Radio Live, who was Art Bell's assistant producer. Uh, I know, you know Dr. J, yes. Fantastic people, <laughs> yep. And Michael Schratt. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and many others, uh, to mm -hmm. be quite honest with you, some that sit behind the scenes a little bit more readily than, you know, uh, a couple faces, I'll put mm -hmm. it that way. And that's okay, because that's part of their contribution to the panel. So yes, I appreciate I hope I didn't lose you there, Michael. Hope I didn't lose you. Looks like we might have froze up here. I hope not. Well, just nope, I should be good. Yep, oh, I'm you're good. In. Maybe it's me. I had this problem one night and I've got my, uh, I've got my internet set up as fast as it can possibly go. And I had this, whenever people are connected with spirit, because I mentioned mm. before we started, this Garnet Schulhauser, I think I'm going to feature his interview next week. I've been talking it up. You guys are gonna be astounded when you hear it. Right in the middle, blocked, cut off. I even moved right down to the, uh, to the router and it's right below me and mm -hmm. nothing it, he couldn't get into Streamyard. it went on for about 10 minutes 12 minutes and then nothing and he said he's had it happen with spirit before so i edited the video and now i've got the capability of uh, um, uploading it to my computer because that's how you have to upload to Streamyard since we produce ourselves now and i think i'm going to feature it 
but the reason why I mentioned him, he does all kinds of stuff with ET. And so, but enough about him. I want to give a huge shout out also to people tuning in. Like I said, hi, Dave Petrella, been a former guest. We've got Debbie Grasberger Schmoley. All of you that are listening, if you want to watch a show, I forgot to mention that because I can't see the comments unless you are over on UFO Paranormal Radio's either um, YouTube channel or Facebook page. But I do go through the comments after, so please don't think we're ignoring you. If you've got something interesting to say or you want to comment and join part of the conversation, we love having you here and your feedback. Please uh, hop over to either one of those places and we will be able to see your comments. Okay, enough of the, the housekeeping. So well, I haven't even had a chance to talk to you. What have you been up to? What's new and exciting? What's going on with you? Uh, recently, I took a two-week vacation from the day job to focus solely on the channels uh, with Dark Hour Parent. Okay. Was to oh, take. Mm-hmm. My intention was to take to uh, two. I'd say probably a good solid week. Okay. Go out into the field, all these different locations, uh, specifically in and around Massachusetts. It was just more accessible for me, even though I had okay. plans to get down to Connecticut. The travel time and gas prices were pretty heavy even at that point. Oh, uh, yeah. But at the end of this excursion within these mini documentaries that I did release, uh, some of cool. them containing you know, two, three, four different locations in one go, was to create a full-length documentary on an anomalous area called the Bridgewater Triangle, uh, effectively coined uh, by, I think it was uh, Lauren Coleman in a 1982 mm-hmm. or 83 book that he had written. Uh, one of the consensus that I have come up against in meeting people who not only investigate the Bridgewater mm-hmm. Triangle, but also uh, have lived there perhaps mm-hmm. for quite some time, is that the Bridgewater Triangle that Lauren had to find was very minimal compared to what activity and way of reach it may have expanded to maybe throughout time maybe it was already there long story short it's much bigger than anybody proposed before and upon going there i have to tell you that that is absolutely true and uh, visiting other peripheral sites that are outside of the triangle which certainly could be included within the triangle uh again sort of support that theory as well Interesting. Now, Dave Petrella, who I don't know if you know Dave or not, he's um, an astrologist, biologist, um, really interesting guy. He's a great supporter of UPRN. I know he's been of my shows and my partner, the Dell, who has the delicious recipe on Thursday nights here. Many of our shows, he has comments, says, was just going to ask you about that, brother. I've also been there. So interesting. So are you able to reveal anything maybe unusual, strange, anything that you noticed while you were making the documentary? So enough, I've sort of abandoned over the course of time certain left brain instruments uh, in way of my body as my primary instrument. Love it. Now, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who are going to say the opposite, Laura Lee. You know, how can you corroborate something like that? How can you quantify it? How can you document it? How can you repeat it? Yes, all of that in way of the scientific method is very necessary when we talk about, uh, you know, again, psychi- um, excuse me, scientifically shooting a field. But for me, in my own experiences, I'm very aware of how far I need to tread before I'm, I'm getting close to a threshold of what I would consider certain peril. Um, and that only goes hand in hand. Uh, you know, certainly as I go along, I bolster it through experience and research, uh, talking to many other people who have very extreme experiences with the paranormal, uh, specifically, I mean, we could go into ufology as well. I mean, 
something. Mm -hmm. I may have to move, but I'll see. I'm going to try moving a little bit here. Keep going, um, Michael, because it may uh, be my, we've got a storm coming in. It may be that. So I'm going to move closer to the door here. Sorry, guys, for the jiggling. Mm -hmm. But let's see if that makes a difference. I may have to go right down. I was trying to hope that uh, Dell got home from work because I didn't want him coming in the dog barking. But go ahead. Sorry. Continue on. Uh, essentially, uh, to kind of make a long story short, the reason that I'm doing this is because I walk in with my body as the feeler first. Once I'm there and I have an experience or myself bringing excuse me, instrumentation and say, let's you know, go another route with this graveyard or this particular location. Let's, you know, shoot it in this way. We'll get EVPs, uh, we'll get EMF spikes, you get all those, you know, classic things you're going to find in the field. Again, right. at the very end of the day, uh, what I have been talking about for quite some time is everybody wants disclosure within the umbrella of esoterica. We all, yeah. all, we all want it. Of course, I understand that that is a big part of the curiosity which propels us all along. Truth of the matter is, would we actually know the physical evidence if it slapped us in the face. I mean, there's so much in the way of flooded disinformation or hopeful photographs and videos or even yes. something more sinister and nefarious in the way of being contrived to uh, you know, mislead people. Don't there's people a lot off. of this out there. <laughs> yep. And yet at the same time, you're going to get an influx of material or evidence that is actually sound. But again, mm -hmm. how do you sift your way through some of this mire that has been created over the last decade and a half? I'm going to say um, quite conservatively, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you get through that? So it, it, that's sort of a real issue, I think, that the uh, especially the world of paranormal and investigators and researchers within that world are facing at large. No, I have to agree with you. But you know what? And it's interesting you brought this up because I was going to bring it up from the last time I was on your show. Let's talk about this using your body as an instrument. Now, knowing you personally, I know how intuitively gifted you are. You and I, I was just saying to my close friend at Atlanta, a fellow light worker, I said, God, Michael and I could get on the phone, talk for eight hours, and it would feel like five minutes because there's mm -hmm. so much we talk about. So I know how intuitively gifted you are. But with what you said, I have to agree with it because, first of all, when I was on your show, and I hope we can talk a little bit about this, but I pulled out a pendulum. And mm -hmm. I showed you and your your viewers how you can control a pendulum with your mind. And you mm -hmm. asked a good question. I, that's how I found out you were an amateur magician. I didn't even know you were. You asked me and said, how do you know it's not I'm actually magic? a professional, but that's neither. I, I, oh, I'm so sorry. I will change <laughs> okay. that. I will it's change okay. that. <laughs> that there's a big distinction out, <laughs> between amateur and card tricks and professional magician. And I know that because Dell, my partner, likes to debunk everything and he watches magic all the time. He watches mm. a lot of the debunking channels. So I apologize because there is definitely a huge distinction. So being a professional magician, you know a lot about sleight of hand and what have you. But going back to the paranormal field, ooh, I'm getting goosebumps. This is an important one. Using our bodies, and we all have these capabilities, we basically are an energy field with a battery, our heart, and what have you, electrical activity. We are capable of picking this up. We know when people are looking at us behind our backs, whether you identify as a clairvoyant medium like myself and whatever gifts I have, we know that. People say, I trust my gut. I feel it in my gut. I don't know why I know it, but I know it, right? Then I talk about in the um, esoteric, if you will, field. 
some of the things that help us build confidence in this field when we work in the fields that we do is we get things I call evidentiary proof, meaning that we pick something up, whether it's a name, whether we, we get flashes, whatever it is, a lot of people, and all people, again, I believe are capable of this. But because of what we've been taught, what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've grown up with, we believe it's our imagination, it could be coincidence, what have you. But once we begin to focus on this, and like I said, get ev evidential proof, which I'm going to hope we can go into in a few seconds here, is that once we get that, it starts to build our confidence and we start to realize, holy crap, there is something to this. I'm picking this up. I'm getting it. It's the same thing with, with the pendulum. I even pulled it out here. Again, depending where our conversation is, I'll pull it out again. There was no magic trick. And I can tell you this for a fact because I pulled something uh, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about energy, pulled something I'd never worn, really touched. I had a heck of a time trying to control that control the pendulum like I did okay actually I'll just grab my necklace I got my necklace here I can't wear it because it scratches against my microphone it was Del that told me I'm not moving my arm people thought I was a witch okay I'm going to ask it to move back and forth this is really heavy so it's going to be a little harder okay um stop I moved my hand to uh go closer so I'm going to ask it to turn in circles my hand's moving a little bit I can try and try and uh steady it that way Okay, I'm going to ask it to stop. I'll ask it to go the other way. Okay, so what I'm saying is, okay, and this is going along with your discussion here. Very quickly, there is no magic to this. Once you realize, and Michael, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you can do this. <laughs> because once you're able to meditate, focus your mind, understand the principles of energy. Now, this is quite heavy compared to a pendulum. Anybody can do this with a little bit of practice. But it's the same thing when you're out, and I've taught many people this with mentoring, you don't want to be whipping out a necklace or a pendulum and saying in front of a row of vitamins, um, or, you know, out of these six vitamins, which one's good for me, right? The pendulum will swing towards, say, that one, or I'm moving my hand to show it, or this one. Um, but we can use our bodies as a pendulum too, right? Have you heard of that before? Uh, in a, a literal sense? Yeah. Describe that to me a little bit, if you Okay, would. so what happens is, how I teach people to do it, I'm going to stand up. Sorry if I don't know, you may not see me. Okay, so you're standing there, right? You're mm -hmm. going to hold, you go into any grocery store, you don't have to say it out loud, you can say it within your mind. Hold, uh, say, I use vitamins, could be, could be fruits, could be anything, okay? Two things. Um, sorry, I'll back up a bit. So first thing you want to do is you want to ask your body, show me yes, show me right show me maybe or basically there isn't an answer okay your body's going to lean one way or it's going to lean the other way very subtly okay you may have to work with it a few times it does work it does once you're proficient at that and you can still say it within your mind's eye you don't have to say it because you don't want to look like a weirdo at the store you can again check and say show me yes and your body will just sort of subtly shift okay if you're relaxed and you take a deep breath before you do it then I got a little ahead of myself there. Then say you want to know between two vitamins, which one is good for my body? And you can even ask left or right. Your body's either going to go to the left or to the right. Or if it stays in the middle, maybe none of them are good for you. You, I will send you some information on that if you like. Um, sorry, we've got Alien Believers. Hi from Ontario, Canada. It works. This is one of these things we haven't talked much about. 
And I don't know if spirit gave me that, but I knew we were going to get on energy. So this is all I'm, I don't usually talk this much when I have a guest on, but I'm bringing this up because this is why I believe in supporting what you're talking about using your body, because you are using your body almost like a pendulum. So let's hear more about this, how you use your body, if you're comfortable with that, because anybody can do this. It doesn't mean that I'm so great or wonderful. All of us can do this with a little bit of practice and open mind, getting into a relaxed state, and then we don't look like a weirdo pulling out a pendulum, getting it to swing wherever we want to. And it will choose. It'll show you how to find lost things. It'll show you all kinds of things like that. Water. Um, and I think, um, you know, the old, what was it, the water witches with the divining rods? And you can mm -hmm. use dowsing rods. All the, It's all based on energy. So there you go. I think the most important is that overall we are an organic or biological antenna. Yes. So yes. within that, there are a multitude of different ways that you can use your body as an instrument of perception beyond the senses that you're familiar with. Now, for some of us, it will take some time to yes. you know coordinate this or even believe in the concept. Uh, and it's not necessarily about belief. I mean, there is a scientific practice through the exercise and a method that one can adapt and achieve certain effects. There have been many people who have, and again, through intentional practice, maybe even meditation. Again, there are a, mm -hmm. a multitude of different ways to do this. Um, they progress much quicker than somebody who's perhaps just allowing it to, you know, ride along with them on their back. Um, mm -hmm. Only, you know, in the, uh, the knowledge that it's there, the awareness, that's it. But, you know, it comes back to whether people really want to do this. And for some, they're overwhelmed enough with life. And believe me, Absolutely. when you allow that samsara uh, sort of yeah, physical reality to inundate and soak your mind, that's exactly what it's going to do. It's going to make things much heavier to you know, kind of continue that analogy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, even in my, my own field, I mean, you look at you know, energy as something that's malleable, always moving, always shifting. Absolutely. Changing. Based on, you know, if you talk about a human field, it's based on emotions, it's based on your physical health. Uh, and these things can be, you know, very readily observed. I mean, trauma can be observed in there. There are holes in certain people's arc fields are losing energy, they're uh, yeah. garnering energy. Maybe they didn't give permission for that explicitly. But of course, you know, we come back uh, to the old idea of agreements, which is another topic altogether. But nonetheless, this is their condition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's important for somebody who is uh, very interested in pursuing, perhaps using your body as a pendulum or becoming some sort of channel of conscious energy, if it's your own, it's your own, if it's something in way of the higher realms or lower realms, and that's, you know, again, another facet of it too is to, again, know themselves well enough that they go through the self-healing to do the best they can mm -hmm. to acknowledge the traumas that they've they've had in their life. Um, essentially, what you're doing, and again, this goes into your immediate everyday life too. I mean, what are you thinking about when you're at work or doing something you'd rather not? Is your mind drifting into the ethers, into something more fantastic and amazing in way of what this world is? Or are you thinking about how your wife's going to scream at you when you get home because the new puppy you got peed on the floor and you know, it's just something that happens and she can't handle it? I mean, again, these are arbitrary and perhaps um, mundane things to look at, but they, they fill our heads and they take up that space and keep us yeah. from utilizing that space more intentionally in way of our own spiritual development. Listen, it's been said time and time before, and this, this is not going away. We're only here for a short time Absolutely. within this incarnation. 
use it to the best of your ability. You'll hear about this uh, theory or this concept in business even. How do you get rich? How do you focus your mind so that you can you know, create income that's you know, supporting you in such a mm -hmm. way that you envision? Well, again, we go back to that same idea. What are you doing with your time? Are you sitting on your bum doing nothing at all? Or are you being progressive in way of what your overall vision is? Listen, nobody has to burn out, but take stock and inventory of what you're doing. And again, this comes back to being able to use your body as an instrument and continue to progress in way of that in, uh, development uh, as you go forward. Otherwise, you will find yourself stagnant at one point or another and still having to face the same things. I have to agree with you. And some of the things that are most important in this is with no blame to any parents. You and I are both parents, Michael. And I hope I didn't lose you there either, Michael. Oh, I'm here. Oh, good. Okay. Um, and this is no shifting any blame to any parent, but children are the most malleable. They're like sponges from before even birth to up to about seven years of age. They absorb a lot more than what we realize, including belief systems. So, for example, when you were talking about money, that's an important thing. I'm still working on it myself. But going back to childhood and really looking at what are those deep-seated belief systems I have about money. I've had parents say, my parents say to me, for example, money doesn't grow on trees or, or what have you. We're surrounded by it all over the place, right? And we're meant to believe that we're not powerful enough to manifest that for ourselves. And I really believe that with what we see in the media, if you will, right? We've got these celebrities all put up on pedestals. I think it's been a big shift and it's been an eye opener for people to actually Maybe a bit of a distraction, but still, um, you know, the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case. You know, these are two people that look quite beautiful on camera, look like they have it all, they've got money. People have put them up on pedestals and you hear, my God, what went on behind closed doors. But I say that about everybody. Nobody knows what goes on behind closed doors. My whole but point people is... Forget Sorry, I just want to say one thing very yeah. quickly. You know, people forget that when you look at a celebrity or a, a sports authority of some sort, they're still a person at the end of the day. And they just Absolutely. have this incredible job that many people would love to do because they have particular talent. But at the end of the day, they still have to go through their own darkness. And maybe we Absolutely. don't see all of it. Maybe we do, you know. Mm -hmm. But that's an important thing to point out, Michael. And my point is that I part of my message I teach when I'm mentoring and working with people is, we are capable of so much more than we've ever been led to believe. Getting into the paranormal, for, for example, love Michelle DeRocher, her and Emilia Pisano have their, their show on um, Wednesday and Thursday nights here on UPRN. And, you know, we've talked about this when we've had paranormal host chats with all of us. And I have to agree with her that especially with teenage energies, all that hormonal energy, there's a lot going on that's kind of frenetic moving around energy. And especially with teenage girls, and some of the research is showing this, that when they're really angry, for example, really, really angry, there is... I've seen some evidence of people reporting this, that they can actually be telekinetic. They can move things with their energy. Because like you said, Michael, we just are having a human experience here. I believe that we're eternal. We've had thousands of past lives. People might find that crazy hearing it for the first time. 
But there's a lot of evidence, even scientifically. I forgot to mention who I was. I usually say this. I So I'll say very quickly, I'm a Canadian clairvoyant medium. I'm a crystal reiki energy healer, Akashic Records practitioner, spiritual teacher and mentor, and I'm also a nurse. So I like to base things in science a lot. I know you and I, when we've even had conversations off air, we like to look at where is the science with this? Because when you've got true science and there's research to back it up, I believe that there's got to be something to it, especially when it's repeatable. What's your thoughts on that, Michael? Uh, <laughs> Hi, Chris. 100%. And there's another reason that kids start experiencing things uh, of the nature that you were describing around yeah. the age of puberty. And again, this is because at that very moment, as soon as a child hits puberty, not only are all the chemical things going on in their body and physical yeah. changes uh, on the horizon, but this is the very first time that they're able to kind of step back objectively and say, wait a minute, I can have an opinion about what the yes. world is. I can see what this is and forget about the programming. And that trying I've been given. that on. <laughs> so, and, and trying everything on to, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. a, obviously a, a certain way to explore uh, the tactile nature of this world and perhaps mm -hmm. the not so tactile, depending on what they're interested in. Um, but that's really where the soul becomes aware that it's now in the human body. All that time, the 10, 11 years prior to that, um, it was just an anchoring process that, mm -hmm. you know, it happened very slowly and again right at that moment where the child enters puberty there's this awakening uh and some of them take very difficult uh in a sense that you know myself when i had this awareness i was certain that there was so much more to this world it was uh, something i allowed to to pain me quite deeply and in that you know uh feeling i felt maybe i shouldn't be here maybe i'm not supposed to be here but it couldn't be anything further from the truth when yes. you sit back, take the responsibility for the role that you've come to fulfill, because that's what you set up. And if you're strong enough and you live beyond that point, you will see that you do fill in those shoes or you are given that opportunity at some point to go that direction. And of course, at that point, it's up to you. But for children, it's very difficult. They want to try mm -hmm. everything. And for most, it's OK to try those things at that age. Mm -hmm. um, beyond that, you get into adulthood, there's, there are many other factors involved. <laughs> to say oh, the least. so many, but okay. Let, I, we've got, um, alien believer said, love to learn more about, um, uh, I think she said medication of the body. I could be wrong if she meant something else mm -hmm. or maybe meditation. I'm not sure what you meant there, hon. And then, um, healing the soul. That's definitely possible. Sometimes I believe for myself, it's definitely a work in progress and, you know, even beliefs. I believe different things than I believed a couple of years ago by experience as well as education. But what I wanted to ask you, Michael, wait, you know, what we've, we've had these conversations off air, but speaking of children, especially young children, what's your belief about why they can see the paranormal as well as animals? And I know you've had some very unusual experiences you've show you've shared on my show. Most gratefully I am to you because you did have some very unique experiences as a young child, didn't you? Yes. And mm -hmm. this actually goes right back to what I was just discussing from the point, uh, excuse me, from the point that the soul enters that body, whether it's in utero or just before it pops out. Okay. Into yeah. the physical, they are not anchored into their body in any full sense whatsoever. This is one of the reasons, you know, there are biological reasons that baby needs uh, so much sleep. Okay. But there are, metaphysical uh, insinuations let's just say that go along those lines i mean the same reason we need sleep we connect back to that metaphysical world uh, again for you know a lack of a better adjective at the moment but with that in mind yes children very readily 
can see spirit because there's a, a faction of them that just isn't anchored into the body. And that's why you see so many um, come up with this phenomenon of invisible friends. Well, most times yeah. it's either a spirit guide, could be a relative of some sort, could be somebody from another life that would love to be with them in this life, but cannot. So in this, in this uh, condition, they take the form that they do in this person's life. Um, it's common. It's very, very common. Okay. Sometimes it takes a, a completely different vision, but then again, the child has as much as they have to, you know, sort of relate what they're seeing. Um, and this, of course, transposes into, you know, paranormal experience as well. Um, I do remember as a child seeing what appeared to be at least what I thought at the time, the only thing I could equate it to was this really ghastly looking bear standing outside my window and face was in right there in the window, very prominent. Oh my goodness. It was, it was nighttime, dark out, parents downstairs doing what they're doing. And, you know, as a child, I tried to roll over and I could feel this thing still there in the window. So I turned around, I looked and sure enough, the damn thing was still there. So, you know, at this point, you know, I, I went downstairs to let my mother know about it. She's actually, I mentioned this to her recently. She's like, oh, I remember that. Um, obviously, when we got back upstairs, we looked out the window, there was nothing there. Now, the curious thing is, this was as physical to me as, you know, any real living animal looking into my window. And yet we're two stories high. So there's nothing for this thing to stand on to be in my window if indeed is, uh, you know, if I were to guess, just make an estimate based on how much I saw of its bust to the mm -hmm. top of its head. Could have been six, seven feet tall. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say anything more than that. But nonetheless, I mean, we're talking 12, 14 feet down. Again, there's no way that something could have been, you know, physically suspended there without anybody knowing. So, you know, the idea again, unless that, it was paranormal, know, I honestly think that, well, I, I certainly think that there was a paranormal aspect to it mm -hmm. because it sustained, it wasn't something that I looked over and, you know, imagination took hold. I, I readily saw, I readily felt it. Uh, but mm -hmm. that in mind, I mean, it could have been something extraterrestrial. Um, yes. Many times this is what people experience. It's that's all they'll remember is they'll see something at their window or in their room and then boom, they're, they're off and they're taken and they, again, don't recall any of that experience after the fact. Um, but we, we have, again, similarities that we look at and, you know, certain parallels mm -hmm. between these experiences. And when it has to do with kids, it's taking the culmination of those explanations or the consistencies within what the kids convey to uh, then create an intelligent deduction based on, you know, these experiences at large. How can you explain uh, a child who remembers crashing in a burning airplane during a war that happened, you know, 60, 70 years prior? It just, it doesn't make sense at the age and it's not like they're influenced or exposed to anything that would allow them to come up with such a vivid story. And, and even if they were, man, that's an imagination. No. Those other incredible authors. So not every kid's having that experience. Yeah, but you know what, Michael, um, I've studied near-death experiences. I know I've said this before, but, um, you know, for 40 years, professionally as well as personally, I believe I had one as a toddler. And the ones that have been most fascinating, especially to me, have been children. Because a lot of these kids are, you know, like you said, there's no way they were exposed to something like this. And they're giving names. They're giving dates. They're giving details that there's no way. Like um, the little boy that was uh, reincarnated, he supposedly was a, allegedly a, a survivor of 9-11. And he told them all about his family, his wife, his kids behind, uh, left behind. Um, he just wouldn't let it go. And so, and the night terrace he was having, the parents did some research 
found the widow of the supposed name. And I guess they showed a picture, a family picture. This little one that was three knew who his wife was, who his kids were. There's a story back in India of a child claiming he was murdered, but the murder was never solved. The, the guy that murdered him in the previous life was caught because of this child. I mean, there are so many stories by this. And the child was born with a birthmark. And where the birthmark was, supposedly was where this soul had been killed in the previous life. I think he had been hit with a hatchet. Exact mark. Like, how do you explain that? How do you explain it? There's no logical trail to explain that, at least mm -hmm. in what we're familiar with right now. I mean, mm -hmm. at the very end of the day, I think all of this has a very logical explanation. But my definition of logic may not sit within the parameters that we've defined in way of science as of yet. I think going into the realms of uh, quantum physics and understanding yes. not only the mechanic, uh, excuse me, the mechanisms of what quantum physics is, but also how this impacts our every moment is so significant. And the very next step that we're, we're venturing into in way of a human, uh, excuse me, a humanity. So well, I had this interesting, and I, I told Paul this the last time he was on, Paul Anthony Wallace, he's written these amazing books, folks. He's got a trilogy out there. Uh, the latest, I hope I don't get it wrong, it's The Scars of Eden, I believe. And um, he came from a very religious background, being a pastor. He was a missionary. His family grew up that way. And then now, when you hear him, he puts documentaries out and stuff like that, Fifth Kind TV. And um, it was something he said that has really sat with me. And what it was, was, you know, if you consider that there was ET involvement in the development of this planet where we've evolved, some of you may think this is crazy. I like to keep an open mind just because I haven't heard of it, haven't experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't exist to me. But he had a good point with the fact that, you know, there is a theory out there that a certain race uh, created the human race and the alien race created the human race. And correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, or I missed stuff. I'm not an expert in this field. But um, Paul's theory, one of the theories was that the first rendition of human beings were they were very highly intelligent with all these gifts. And they definitely were not going to agree to be a slave race to this alien race okay so he said what if we now us right now are human being 2.0 or homo sapien 2.0 and then we got into really interesting discussion and i've seen this as a nurse is you know he said what if somebody's had a near-death experience or somebody's been in a coma or had a head injury and all of a sudden they wake up and they have these gifts that they could never do before like like they can play the piano when they had no musical ability or they can speak all these languages he said what if that is still all there locked in our brain because science has shown depending on who you listen to between 10 and 20 percent only of our brain what if through that accident that it switched that light switch on that it's all there all we need to is unlock it. What do you think about that? I think that's incredibly plausible. And I mm -hmm. think more or less the reality that we're all looking at. Uh, and, and there have been experiences like you're mentioning there that mm -hmm. really sort of corroborate this. I mean, in way of a totality, if the mind is essentially a, a recording mechanism and this, yeah. you know, goes with us from one incarnation to the next, maybe on some sort of ribbon that does begin and end in a Fibonacci sense at some point. Uh, you know, again, that would make sense that we would be able to store that. Now, you know, people think, well, how are you going to store all this in your, your mind? I mean, you don't know the uh, actual dimensions of the mind itself. I mean, as far as anybody can tell, 
minds braid into something more collective in way of uh, a fabric that you know at least immediately surrounds the earth within the magnetic fields that are there because we are part of that collective in way of the biological entity that the earth is I agree. so yeah i mean i think certainly that that is something that uh needs more stuff um, it's also possible that they're alighting something in way of cellular memory so, oh you read my mind <laughs> You know, you go, you go back to cellular memory, you go back to your ancestry. And I think this is really a physical representation of that culmination uh, that we can look back on when we are in our physical form and, you know, mm -hmm. certainly borrow some of what our ancestors did, because half the time, I guarantee you going along that line somewhere, you are one of those ancestors. If we understand, you know, the idea of reincarnation, mm -hmm. why wouldn't it stand to reason? And perhaps maybe you're most of them. Uh, divided by certain, you know, parameters that we are still trying to define. I mean, it's a very interesting thought. And, you know, for somebody to get whacked in the head with a baseball bat or a car accident, and next thing you know, mm -hmm. they're a savant in any sense, you know, yes. playing piano or, you know, being able to draw in such a meticulous fashion, mm -hmm. realism and so forth. There's cer uh, certainly something there, clearly something to study as mm -hmm. we move forward. And God, we can't forget these things because, again, it's what we need to lean on in way of evidence for uh, specific avenues of the uh, spiritual world well i have to agree with you and i really believe and we touched on that i'm going to read this comment um that i believe we are eternal beings when it comes to our souls and we're just mm -hmm. having a momentary experience here on earth that's it momentary because um when you think about eternity even if you live to 80 or 100 years that is less than a blink of an eye for people it really is. So um, just before you comment on that, Mike, I'm going to read Alien Believers. They said, um, I also believe we are more than we know as a child. I was in a fire and died once and told my grandmother I spoke to God who told me to go back. I'm now 58, came close to death many times since. So I believe we are not alone. And I also believe in reincarnation. Thank you for sharing that, Alien Believers. So I, I have to agree with you that, um, but like, I, that's where I was before I read your comment was that I think we're just having a momentary experience here. And I had a recent guest, uh, it's a recording, but they've mentioned it as earth school. And I have to agree because I believe this is one of the most difficult places to reincarnate on. And many souls want to come here because for the potential for soul growth being here, you come in with spiritual amnesia, you come in these frail, heavy bodies, you're not aware of anything that's most people aren't of lessons you've learned in the past or anything to relate to you basically come in blind. I don't know what's your thoughts on that? Well, to comment on the uh, the time that you had mentioned there, it's absolutely relative to the person perceiving that process. I mean, we define mm -hmm. uh, the state of change, the consistent state of change as time in physics. And if you don't have that type of movement, then you have no time. So, for example, when you look mm -hmm. at a sine wave, and I'll try to uh, simplify this because there's a lot kind of uh, implied within this idea. Get complicated, yep. <laughs> well, when you talk about our reality, it's complex yeah. and it's still very straightforward. Um, so you look at a sine wave and you look at the apex of that sine wave and then the trough. Uh, you know, anybody can say with certainty the energy behind the sine wave causes it you know, to vibrate. It's moving. There's, there's a motion to it. Mm -hmm. However, at the very top of that apex, 
And at the very bottom of that trough, there is a moment where it becomes stagnant and there's no movement <laughs> whatsoever. So this is actually reflective of the uh, the all, the eternity, that which lies be beyond our uh, understanding of time within the physical sense. So, mm -hmm. you know, my thought has always been, you know, there's a theory behind here somewhere. And of course, this, this relates to us, you know, having to do with frequency and vibration. Is it possible that when somebody sits down to meditate, knowing that they go through all different kinds of shifts with brain waves and mm -hmm. so forth, we've even got names for this, of course. Is it possible that we reach such a distinct stillness within ourselves that we step outside the same way that these you know sine waves uh, have the possibility of doing it from either end and this is where we get the out of body uh experiences the astral travel this is where we get the lucid dreaming in our our sleep time um again attempting to take something physical and wave observation and apply it to something that we're doing experientially is really mm -hmm. i think one of the most significant things that we can do here because it's one thing to have the anecdotal it's one thing to have mm -hmm. the experience i can talk for the rest of my life about experiences i've had but i can't share it with you directly so yeah. the best thing i can do is give you the science behind it and then if you want to try and repeat that in some way shape or form even if it means putting yourself in a location and seeing empirically what happens you'll be able to do that and in that you have a certain connection with time we won't necessarily need the physical uh, affirmations. And, and I'm talking some good time, maybe not in our lifetime, Laura, mm -hmm. but I think we're setting the stage for this. And the reason for that is the collective, or at least I should say, we have the ability and the opportunity for that collective to come together and braid within itself. And this, of course, will be an enormous paradigm shift if we go this route. This puts mm -hmm. us in a category the same way that extraterrestrials and into uh, terrestrials that live beneath the, uh, the Earth's Earth. crust here, mm -hmm. they live in their communities this way. And it's been purported many times that they're driving their uh, semi-biological drone crafts that we see in the skies in a very similar fashion. They're connecting with it through a certain collective consciousness yeah. why aren't we doing that or at least aware of it we know we have the possibility or i should say the capability of doing it so where along our timeline did we lose that ability and then the conscious knowledge I that agree. we were ever able to do it in the first place i agree <laughs> you and i are on the exact same page because i agree with you but when you start talking about some of this stuff then it sounds a little crazy right because like you said, a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people are just going along, trying to survive paycheck to paycheck, going to work, mm -hmm. doing what they're doing, thinking they're here by accident. What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? And just trudges along with life. And there's nothing wrong with that. I say that with no judgment. And I know you agree with me. But when we start, for whatever reason, mine was through an extreme paranormal experience. So as a nurse, and I say, I've said it to you many times on your show off the air and on here as well, that, you know, I've been blessed so many hundreds of times to be there at the beginning of life. And it never ceases to amaze me as a NICU and labor and delivery nurse, and then working out in the community in palliative care, and to have been so deeply honored to have families ask me to be present when their loved one transitions, as I call it, back home. I'm not saying that's the answer to people listening. I'm saying that's what I call it. And the things that we see as nurses when it comes to life, 
including miracles, including when, you know, human beings begin life and when they transition out of this life that are completely unexplainable. And my journey as a so-called, I guess the buzzword would be a light worker. I find a lot of nurses are entering into this field. Now, is it because we're looking for more answers? Is it because I, I, are we natural healers? Is that what, I, I don't know what the answer is. You're already doing some of this on a certain level, being a sort of clinician or nurse within the health field. I mean, you're there as a healing practitioner. You're just using mm -hmm. different methods rather than the energy, which, you know, a lot of people look at as the next step. In many cases, people have been invited in hospitals, possibly yourself as well, Laura Lee, to do this specific kind of work with Reiki and working with patients one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, there have been a lot of good results that have come from those endeavors. And you know what? Not all of them are documented. In fact, a majority of them aren't. But there are people out there that will tell you that these professions can go hand in hand, perhaps more naturally, just has mm -hmm. to take the right person. Have you ever come to a doctor who, uh, based on certain, certain recommendations, <laughs> was told that, you know, this person is a gifted doctor? So you, know, you want to mm -hmm. go and talk to them because there's something about them in way of maybe it's a spiritual mm -hmm. thing. I don't know. But either way, people see that there's a gift there. Uh, I, I've had that experience. Um, mm -hmm. Didn't necessarily believe that there was going to be anything special about it. But between the Reiki healing that I worked with during my recovery and the phenomenal job that this gentleman did, I can use my right arm today. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a point where they looked at it, told both my parents that he's not going to be able to use it. And... They, of course, didn't tell me, but this guy, uh, again, going back to our original thought here, has been in the medical field in the way that he has, but he has a certain gift of, let's say, detail, okay, that mm -hmm. he's able to go further than somebody else and has a vision when he sees a wound or something that's broken yeah. saying, I see a way to do this. So you are doing it. I have that. basically my point. Yeah. I, I have that it. myself, and I was going to say... Um, Yes, why I, I, I'm not able to work now for those that think I'm working. I know you know this, but those that don't, I've hurt my back on in the field and I'm doing other kinds of healing work. Um, like when you're talking about holes in the aura, that's part of what I do with crystal Reiki. Um, you know, searching for the, the holes in the aura, sealing them. They happen just through everyday natural life as well. We could do a whole show on that. My whole mm -hmm. point is, yes, there are certain doctors. Like when I was in labor with, I believe it was my second son really bad back labor. My first son, I remind him every year, he's going to be 27 in July. And the week before his birthday, it comes back five days of labor. <laughs> I remember it. I don't get, go through labor again. I remember it. So my second one, I had really bad back labor. And my husband at the time uh, was really sick with a cold and everybody was babying him. I'm like, hello, pregnant woman here in labor. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Anyways, I knew most of the girls up there because I worked on the floor. So one of the girls, uh, she's from England and she said, um, can I do some therapeutic touch on you? I said, honey, you can do whatever you want. I, I have no idea and I don't really care. And so I couldn't see what she was doing. And all of a sudden I didn't have pain for an hour and a half. And it was like, holy cow, what'd you just do to me? I'd heard of therapeutic <laughs> touch, but I didn't know what it was. We then took the course a couple of years later, actually my husband at the time and I, um, and it's a misnomer, there is no touch. And it works with the person's energy field. And with quantum physics, it's proven that there is no space, there is no time. I could treat somebody over in China, Russia, wherever, 
and it works. It really, really does work. So Beyond that, you can send energy back to the past as well and change the outcome yes. of that. Oh, let's talk about it. I just want to answer your question about the doctor. Let's talk about that because that's kind of a newer concept to me. Not that I don't believe it. I just haven't dug into it. I want to hear more about it. But about for doctors, you are right. Like I had a pediatrician I worked with. He was the most, oh, he was awful to work with. He was so awful. When I worked in the NICU, he'd walk in and you'd have a, a little 28-week-old baby on a ventilator or, you know, 27 week or just little painted everything and you know you had to do blood gases and stuff he would not let you look at that chart he you'd have to have everything memorized you'd have to have it all and he would berate you he would chide you and i remember asking the nurse is going why is he so awful i've only heard these wonderful things from parents about him he's testing you when he's tested you enough and he knows that he can trust you then he will move forward. You know how I got past him one night? I got called in early. And these guys worked their butts off because we had no neonatologists or anything. They did everything with peds. Anyways, he um, was trying to start an IV on this little one. And I said, hey, well, maybe I could give it a try. Um, you know, fresh eyes. He goes, I can't start it. You can't. It went in. After that, best of friends. He actually told his pediatric residents, my nurses are my residents. You are their student. But the whole thing I loved about him to go back to a really special doctor is he always said to all of us always he's a great teacher the parents are the experts in this situation the parents are the experts I don't care if it's a newborn child or what it is and he I actually had him as a doctor but the reason I say that yes every now and then you run across somebody in whatever field that they're just such a gift to the profession but I wanted to say, sorry, I went on there. I didn't mean to, but I want to hear more about this sending energy back to the past. And I'm going to address your comment, alien believers, I promise. But let's hear this, Michael. I love it. <laughs> well, I mean, so the idea is just as simple as what we were mentioning before. Uh, there is no differentiation way of time or space. space time, so yeah. this is one of those ways that you know quantum physics may apply to us on a daily basis. So let's say you want to send energy to yourself in the future. This is something very common with people they'll lay in bed at night. They'll send themselves energy for the next day. So they wake up feeling refreshed, a little bit more yeah. energized than if they hadn't. Why wouldn't it be able to work in the opposite direction? Okay. Given everything that's in front of us. Well, agreed but why? Agreed but why? So my theory Okay, based on my experience is that when you're sending this back to something that had already happened, keeping in mind that there are an infinite amount of possibilities of what could have been done at that very moment in time, the way you look your eyes, you know what I mean? We we'll go back to I understand. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Havey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com.
exist in an infinite sense. String theory does a great uh, job with explaining some of this, but only yeah. so far. Uh, it doesn't give the experiential factor behind it in a lot of ways uh, that we would talk. But with that in mind, essentially, I believe that when you shift this, okay, in my experience, let's say... I, I can't remember. I haven't done this in a little while, but I used to mm -hmm. do it a lot when I was growing up in my uh, late teens okay. and early 20s. And maybe it was, you know, you fell on your skateboard and you scuffed your knee. Okay. So you're going to send this idea back and you're going to reconstruct this reality. It doesn't have to be a heavy meditation, but you go into the visualization and the same way that you would approach the secret. Okay. With the intention, you feel what it would be like to have that different experience and you're kind of abandoning for that moment, what had actually happened. And I'll tell you what ends up happening as you do this more and more. And that is that what happened the first time your, your knee was cut up and bloody. Okay. That actually starts to drift towards the background and becomes more of an unfamiliar sort of sense of imagination, a possibility of what could have happened. Now, maybe as you envision the change of this event, you know, you just scraped your knee with no blood. Okay. Again, you can't go all the way in the back of the past, uh, back into the past and look at it and say, yeah, okay, I, I see what I did. This worked out, but you'll feel different about that event. And if there's something in the way of, of uh, disagreement with somebody, I've used yeah. that in many senses or something in, in way of high emotion between two people, you can go back and you can sort of mitigate some of that energy before it gets out of control. Now, if you were to, you know, commit some sort of uh, heinous act, okay, maybe you took a life, you're still on an overall path with that particular action, because that's a lot heavier in way of, I think the energy, if we were mm -hmm. to catalog, um, sort of catalog this um, and break it down into different tiers, um, just to kind of understand it, you know, you, you've taken a life, you've changed somebody else's path. So there's only so yeah. much you can do from that point. You know, I mean, you can lessen and, 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 and how do I want to say this? I think I, energy yeah. to change things, but at the same time, it won't change the immediate action of what you've done. And again, and I think there's because there's more gravity in an action like that than, let's say, skinning your knee or a disagreement with somebody. No, that makes so much sense, Michael. Okay, because when I'm thinking about it, hopefully we didn't freeze up again. I'm sorry, I keep moving this. I don't know if it's me or it's you. Um, <laughs> it's probably me. We've got a storm coming, so it could be that. Are you still there, Michael? Hello, we'll see if you're there. Hey, let me, guys, let me know in the audience if we're frozen. Are you there, Michael? I may have to move. I got little bits and pieces of you here. There you are, are you back? Yep, I'm here. Okay, I didn't know if it's me or whom it is. So um, what I it, wanted it to add, I get what you're matter. saying. It doesn't matter, we're trying to make it work. If I have to, I think Del will be we're able to work if I have to sneak downstairs. What okay. I wanted to say, I get what you're saying now, okay, because it's a little bit like shadow work and we work with the inner child going back, maybe the inner, you know, as a child, somebody's grown up really in a really abusive relationship, we can go back mm -hmm. in time, we can send that love, we can send that healing, we can be that adult to explain things to the child, is it going to change things? No but it helps to process and it helps with the healing. And the other way I could see that being used, Michael, is if you've had, say, a really bad act, like for example, I used myself. I had a really bad ba uh, back injury accident at work. And I'm gonna give this some, some, some um, I'm gonna give this a try actually, because going back to that event and then, you know, sending healing, sending energy, sending whatever, 
I do believe it could have an impact for the future. It can help with the healing process. I believe it could help with pain control. It could help with all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, if you go back and you attack your uh, event, we'll say, mm-hmm. where you hurt yeah. your back, you know, no, it's not that magic is real. It's that we're we're literally shifting and molding and changing reality. And to some people or the untrained eye, that appears to be magic. And mm-hmm. maybe the result itself seems magical, but that's okay too, because we are magical beings in yes. way of mystery and esoterics. You know, we don't, there's not one person that's walking on this earth who can say, I fully understand myself to every little facet that is no. me. <laughs> and I've met every single one of my higher selves and I've you know anchored them all in as walk-ins, you know, would you like to go to dinner? You're not going to find that person. Uh, and if you are that person, give me a ring, will you? I'd like to talk to you. But um, in, it, <laughs> in any case, um, you know, we have to, again, think more in way of the collective. And, you know, when you address something like changing events that happen a- along a certain t- timeline, again, the logical idea here is that moving forward, we can augment things. So why in God's name could we not circle back around and use that uh, those words intentionally mm-hmm. to, you know, revisit something in the past? From my understanding, when you're outside of the body in the infinite, mm-hmm. you can go any direction. So absolutely, why do we have the limitation here has always been the question. But the idea and knowledge that we can change things in the future, or at least right now, we can do something that augments our future. Therefore, we have a little control, right? It's just a glimpse of what we're fully capable of and coming back to your whole idea of being much more powerful and large in way of mm-hmm. our energies and capabilities than we even are aware of today. No, I have to. I have to agree with you because there's two schools of thought. First of all, um, you know, going going back in the past, you know, things happened, I believe, for a reason. But moving forward in the future, this is. I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to say I'm perfect, but I really try and look at things with a different perspective. I got to be somewhere. I'm running late. Everything happens. I run into maybe there's a train or something holding up traffic. And rather than getting stressed and angry about it, I try to look at it that maybe it's happened for a reason. Had I gone through and gone through full steam ahead, got there racing to get there on time, I might have gotten an accident. I might have got into something. And am I saying that Mm -hmm. I'm being a fatalist here? No. But what I'm saying, I'm being open to the possibilities that I may not be able to see the whole big picture. You know what I'm saying? Um, there could do. be a lot more things in play here that there's a reason why things play out the way that they do. So with that being said, though, and um, Spirit's directing me kind of to ask you about this, is <coughs> what's your thoughts on, and I always evolve and change my ideas about this, but what's your thoughts on why we have earthbound spirits? Are they really earthbound spirits? Are they ET, do you think? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Where are you at with this lately? Uh, Just a small question. (laughs) (laughs) What we would describe as earthbound spirits are not necessarily earthbound only uh, Mm -hmm. the way that we would define it. Okay, we can look at them and see that they're still here and we say, well, there must be something that keeps them from moving on. Certainly there is, but it's not something outside of themselves. And that Mm -hmm. is what, you know, where people make the mistake in thinking that there's a force outside of that that individual that's keeping it here on earth and can't move into heavenly realms or whatever. Um, most times this has to do with trauma that's been experienced in life that they cannot let go of. The actual passing itself was too quick. Either they're you know upset about that, yeah. that quickness of passing or 
uh, they're not even aware that they're dead exactly. yet. And if you yeah. go to a, a bar or uh, certain places where you know people are serving alcohol, I use this as an example. There were mm -hmm. people who passed away from abuse uh, in, in, with alcohol, and you're not going to find them immediately just you know shifting off into some higher realm. Mm -hmm. In some cases, you'll find them in the bars grasping at a drink that they can't hold on to, and there's just a bunch of forlorn souls kind of trying to figure out what in God's name is going on now. They can't even grab a beer or whatever they drink. So until they figure that out and, you know, in terms of time and, and looking at that, that stretch of, of window that somebody might be here, it's very uh, relative to their particular experience, their nature, their bent, what they want to do. Now, there's always this awareness that there's a, a white light or some sort of pinhole ember that's, you know, up there within your consciousness that all you need to do is turn towards it. But it's very easy, just like our inner guidance and our internal dialogue sometimes, you know, are in conflict with each other you're experiencing that to some degree through this transition um once you go into that light you know you're the way we would describe it in another dimension altogether with its own set of principles and laws that you know you would then follow going into that sort of physicality if you will but prior to this there are many different layers of uh frequency in which these earthbound spirits can exist on and to believe it or not i mean they're you know, obviously they don't have a body. They're not experiencing the elements. Mm -hmm. Darkness is not something where things can hide anymore. I mean, for us, it still is, of course, you know, given the spectrums that we're able to perceive. But at the very end of the day, these souls or these spirits are there by choice. And maybe they enjoyed being pranksters and maybe they enjoyed instilling fear <laughs> in the people. And they're going to continue that pattern until one time. Actually, maybe several times, to be honest with you, uh, I've, I've heard that we were given many chances in the sense you'll be visited by a higher being mm -hmm. and they will they will simply suggest, are you ready to go forward? Are you done doing what you're doing here? You, you want to go and see some other things that, you know, is that that are mm -hmm. out there and the soul may say, no, I'm not ready. I'm OK. I'll visit you in what we might consider a few years. Whatever. I mean, you, put time, <laughs> you put whatever time uh, limit on there that you like. Mm -hmm. But um the fact remains that there will come a point where they do have to make the choice to move forward and go through the life review and see how that, you know, their actions have affected other people. And then from that, that is how karma is created, by the way, it's not dictated or impressed upon you. It's something that you make uh, a decision about, Oh my God, I can't believe I, I made this person feel like this in my next incarnation. Can they be with me in some way, shape or form? And I can do something different. Or maybe I can be of aid in, in their life, you know, maybe something that just kind of propels them along, even if it's just once. Can we cross paths? That's how it starts. But the negotiations begin when we realize that, you know, practically we can only have a certain number of people experiencing physicality uh, at one point. But again, we get mm -hmm. very dodgy here because we start talking about linearity. And this is where the human mind, yes. you know, at least the way that it's impressed in the body, has a difficult time understanding that you know there are multiple timelines layered onto each other the way sediment is layered within our earth and yet they all exist in the same space and affect each other but it's not necessarily a conscious thing i have to agree with you because i was on a call-in show about uh somebody's podcast about a month ago and of mm -hmm. course you know there's supposed to be like two three minute phone calls this person gets all kinds of people calling and the person called and asked um is there a hell <laughs> that wasn't a quick answer. We tried to make it a quick answer, mm. but I did tell them, no, I'm not always right. 
Um, this is just my opinion. I wrestled with this. I had a difficult time coming from this Catholic school upbringing and being forced to go to church and religious dogma. Now, again, I don't say that with any judgment for people that need that. Um, I have a belief in a higher being. Hey, Chris. Uh, Chris says, damn keyboard. He's trying to type something. Oh, he said, some say I everything. <laughs> some, some say everything and nothing is real. Past, present, and future can possibly be occurring simultaneously. Agreed. Do you both think um, this plays into the multiverse theories? Are we many consciousness? I'm going to stop my story right there. Let's let's add, let's go there with that, Michael. That's an interesting conversation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's no Thanks, separation. Chris. There's absolutely no separation. Mm -hmm. Hello, Chris and Kristen. Good to see you again. Yes. Air I love Force, you both. Paranormal, Bigfoot and the Bunny. Very fantastic. Folks. Thank you for uh, finding that. Yeah. I should be doing that as a host. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. No, <laughs> that's God. fine. They were on my show uh, the last run. Uh, <laughs> I know them well, too. Run. Yeah, I know them well. So I just go, hi, Chris, and not think about that. So thank you, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> not a problem. Uh, yes, again, there is no separation at the very mm -hmm. end of things when you're looking at this in the most infinitesimal senses. And of course, the macro expands the same way. Um, you know, if we didn't have gravity here on Earth, we wouldn't know what up and down was, right? So even our own direction, our sense of direction is specific to our paradigm and environment and where mm -hmm. we live. But we can certainly apply certain knowledge outside of that, understanding that there's a connection between everything. You take down the trees, you're going to have less uh, oxygen. Oxygen. You, you know, mm -hmm. you, uh, you know, dump stuff into the ocean. This is going to have a deleterious effect on the environment altogether. And eventually one day it arrives at your doorstep when you don't have anything to eat because all the fish are dead and the animals can't mm -hmm. feed off the fish the way they're supposed to. And, and of course the ecosystem goes around in that circle once again, mm -hmm. but it's, it's tough. It's tough for us to see beyond our own noses in so many senses. I, and I, I want to sit back and blame the ego. The ego is a very wonderful tool. If you know how to use the damn thing, I agree. that's the important thing. <laughs> is Make friends with the ego. ego. Make friends with the ego. It's Make there for a reason. Uh, uh, feel this out really, you know, turn towards your ego and analyze what this is. How is it serving you? Is it serving you? Because if it's not, boom, you start right there. People often mm -hmm. ask me, where do I start on certain things? Start there. Uh, you know, it takes just a moment to look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, well, I want to fix this. I mean, if it was a physical attribute, you'd be able to point it out immediately. Oh, my hair's standing up like this. I want to fix that. My eyebrow, I actually cut a little too short. Well, I won't touch it next time. You know, whatever the case is, people are very immediate when it comes to a physical uh, representation rather than, hey, let me just go inside and feel what I really feel about, you know, something that has happened or what's happening to me now instead of glossing over, making excuses, uh, you know, looking to somebody else for that attention or approval. I mean, God, there are so many people who still seek approval. I see it every day in my professional life. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's just unnecessary. You know, being who you are will actually do more justice for this uh, braiding of the whole, okay, than being something you're not. Because again, it comes back to why aren't we already all connected in a very conscious sense to this collective? Because we're so rooted in the idea that we're just individual freaking people. And that's mm -hmm. all we are. And that there's this space between us and I can throw a rock and you can throw a rock. I mean, that's how people are thinking. They're still living in this third dimension. And yet we've already transcended into the fourth dimension. There's many, many uh, mm -hmm. variables out there and factors that contribute and support this to, uh, to actually have happened. 
you know, we've spoken a little bit about it in the past, I believe, whether it was in private conversation, Laura Lee, or on the show. But, you know, people back in 1980s were talking about this ascension and nobody knew if it would be cataclysmic or something yeah. more subtle. Well, it was a little bit of both, to be quite yeah. honest with you, because we did go through a lot of planetary shifts. Now, the poles have not completely you know uh, rearranged themselves yeah but they are saying scientifically this is still something not only possible but something to expect again nobody really knows the timeline and way of this sort of thing happening but we see it mm -hmm. in recorded history so again when you're looking at yourself and you're seeing yourself as an individual person it's not that you it's wrong to, to look at yourself as an individual or to separate yourself in certain ways because we have that dynamic for a reason. It's to bolster going within ourselves. As we get to know ourselves more, we become more celebrated within ourselves. Believe me, I like the stuff I do. I don't know mm -hmm. about you guys, but I'm I sure if it. you do it and like it, it's because you're enjoying it and mm -hmm. therefore you're enjoying a facet of yourself. You're also being that creative being, which all of us are. And again, this is reflective within the universe. Everything is based on creation. Yes, entropy is very real, but it's also mm -hmm. part of that creation, that degradation that is necessary in order to rebuild or continue on with you know the same materials that you have, again, creating something different. Okay, but uh, this kind of falls into your question, the question a little bit that you asked, Chris, too, though, about you know, what do you think is there a multiverse is that happening at the same time? Okay, going back to what I was saying before about hell, right? Like I had a hard time, is there a hell? And people, you know, we're saying in this, it went a lot longer, the question about, you know, we get, we run into people all the time that blame God for everything. This is God that caused this, rather than understanding that we're here as an eternal being, soul, if you will, having a human experience here that we actually chose. A lot of people have a lot of hard time with that too. You chose your parents, you chose who your children were, you chose who your spouse was, you chose these people around you. And then I heard somebody else had a near-death experience explain this, that when they went through their life review, or they didn't go through their life review, sorry, they went, they passed away. And when they looked back, they hadn't had the life review but they knew they couldn't stay. Or I think they were offered the option, if I'm not mistaken, they could stay or they could choose to go back. But mm -hmm. when they looked back, they said it seemed all so easy. It was all just a play. It all looked like a play. Uh, everybody was having their own play, if you will, all yep. intertwined and all the, the actors were on the stage, but all the actors were on the sides of the stages getting ready to come in. And it was your life. That's all it was, mm -hmm. your life. So when you look at hell, Okay, and like I said, a little bit of religious dogma and those are things we have to unravel, kind of what I mentioned early in the beginning, the things we've been led to believe, especially as children, those are deep-seated beliefs, I believe, and realizing that we are looking at justice and punishment and revenge and people paying for their actions and stuff from a human perspective, rather than recognizing that if this really is all just playing out like a play, for our souls to learn whatever the lesson or lessons we set forth, why we've come here in this carnation, this reincarnation, if you will, carnation, whatever you want to call it. And I had a guest on recently that pointed it out. We were talking about this and they had a really good analogy. He said, so you go to the theater and you watch a play and you've got an actor that's playing Jack the Ripper. It's a pretty mm -hmm. graphic play. You know, he, this really looks like he's really taking people's lives in that, that play, right? The end of the play takes the bow, walks off the stage. Is he punished for what he played out there? And he said, no, he isn't, right? If you really are 
playing a role and this gets really crazy and trying to wrap our human minds around it and life and i don't want to diminish life because i'm not saying it's just a play but what i'm saying if you can sort of picture from that analogy right if somebody's agreed before you've incarnated right and they've played a really awful role and then people think well they're going to go to hell they've got to be punished but do they really because as human beings and this is another belief system not everybody believes but think about human nature when do we choose when do we choose to i'll back up when things are beautiful and they're wonderful we've all been there we've been madly in love and the birds are singing and or maybe won the lottery whatever it is right what do people say oh my god i wish this could go on forever i never want it to change it's when usually not always but usually when we have something adverse it could be really awful it could be traumatic it whatever it may be it could be a loss whatever it is we have we are faced with a choice right we can choose to mire in in that energy of what's happened and be stuck there or we've seen it time and again and some great things have been done but through people's tragedies they they created maybe a foundation somebody's child was murdered they don't ever want somebody else to go through that you know what i'm saying so my whole point it gets a little complicated but what i'm saying is it kind of helped me understand that in my belief system there is no hell because it's part of the contracts and what I'm probably you always say things so eloquently, Michael, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Anyways, I think you can follow what I'm saying here. Retribution is a human creation. Thank you. I could have said it that simply. <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. It's a, yeah. it's a human creation. And, you know, just because we act a certain way doesn't mean that, you know, anything else in life actually reflects that same retribution. We've seen certain behaviors within the animal kingdom, uh, yeah. you know, apes, dolphins, yeah. you know, just to bring a, a yeah. couple out to the forefront. Mm -hmm. um, more often than not, they're not killing for spite. There's something in the way of territory or, you know, hierarchy within the, the tribe. Uh, and yes, there is a logical reason for that attack in certain ways. And we appear, uh, we see it differently, of course. Now, mm -hmm. you know, when you talk about whether there's a hell or not, the hell that exists is the one that you create. So Thank I mean, you. we are the creators. We are yeah. part of the all. We are the same material. And mm -hmm. therefore, we are gods if, you know, by that definition, we are creators as well. So, yeah, you create your own experience. And if you pass on and you feel that, you know, in, in your life, you should be judged and, you know, torn to bits in some sort of hellfire, guess where you get to go? Guess uh, where you get to go? Yep. It doesn't mean that you have to stay there. I mean, there have been many mm -hmm. examples of near-death experiences where people did feel this way and then realized that that was just, again, a fabrication of their own fear, of their own uncertainty, of their own guilt, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, you brought up a very good uh, analogy, and I actually thought of something very similar. You know, if you are a villain within this play, and I'll just kind of, again, piggyback on what you said, not going into the same detail. I'm dying to hear. You're, you're villain, always so much more eloquent. <laughs> appreciate you. You flatter me so. Um, you are. But if you're a villain in this play, okay, and mm -hmm. I've always seen it that way too. I love that analogy. Uh, and at the end of the play, you know, you take off your makeup and costume. Do you go home and like beat yourself up because you just killed four people in this play? Yeah. That was part mm -hmm. of your character. Do you walk around with it, you know, saying, oh man, I feel really bad. Well, it's hard for people to understand that it's not that there isn't any consequence. And, and that's sort of the way we talk when we say, oh, it's just a play, mm -hmm. right? But in fact, it is. I mean, but there yeah. is still certain consequence. It's just the decisions that you make will lead you to that outcome rather than something directing you saying this is how it has to be. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe that direction actually are the agreements and contracts that we have made, and yes, yet we don't recognize it that way, you know, as we're going through the play and, you know, getting into the dialogue and getting to know the characters. But mm-hmm. for some of us to know that this is all sort of a facade and that it's illusory in a certain respect, but yet that we are still here experiencing it the same way that actors experiencing the scene on stage it's very, very curious and, again, hard for us to wrap our minds around and then anchor and sustain as we move forward in our everyday. Well, because people believe that there should be a justice system, at least I believe in the developed worlds compared. I can't speak for, mm-hmm. you know, other places where I haven't been. But in the developed world, people believe that there should be justice. There should be restitution, restitution, retribution. They should be paying for what they did. They should be rotting in hell for all of eternity. And like I said, at first, when someone said that to me years ago, when I said at the beginning of the show, I've changed a lot of my belief systems because I think, and again, I don't want to sound, again, coming from ego. And I believe the ego serves a purpose. I've had some great mentors who have taught me this, that we make friends with the ego. It's there for a purpose. Because you'll hear, especially in the light worker field, you need to banish the ego. And those people I have found, the more they try to banish the ego, the more difficult it becomes for them. Because you're uh, ignoring a part of yourself. It just keeps popping right back up again, right? You're just <laughs> ignoring attention. a part of yourself. It, it's it's mm-hmm. as if you had a child in, in a family unit, right? And you decided to ignore that child. Well, eventually, bad things are going to happen, and this kid's not getting taken care of. It's very similar. And yeah. I'll use that example of the inner child uh, for the moment because it's very relevant. Uh, so mm-hmm. many people ignore the inner child maybe this is how they were taught to deal with it um maybe they never understood how to nurture themselves in certain respects mm-hmm. and you know they they get older and realize that they're burnt out middle age and they're having a crisis and they don't understand why well i mean it also goes in line with giving as much as they do to other people which is absolutely awesome however you need to have a balance you can't give so much of yourself away that you and then in turn now need the help. It's, I mean, it's just not a good position to start from and then end in. And again, there has to be a balance uh, to, you know, how people go about this sort of work. That was a good lesson for me, actually, right? And it was such a shock to me. This is early on in my journey uh, with, mm-hmm. with Lightworker. I had no problem giving, giving, giving. And then Again, I think it, I've worked with many different mentors. I'm so grateful for that. And I tell people on this journey, seek out many different mentors. And it's kind of like going shopping, if you will. Pick what works for you and what doesn't. Leave the rest, right? But they had actually, and it was literally like I'd been hit over the head. They, they said, and it was a lesson they were sharing for themselves, that, yeah, I, I've, I've been able to show the universe that I'm very open to giving, but then they gave some examples, like a friend had called them up, knew they were having a hard time, wanted to pay and take them up for dinner. And they said, no, 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 I, no, absolutely not. No, no, I'll meet you for dinner, but you're not paying for my dinner. Or there was a bunch of things. But because I believe that part about being in this 3D existence on Earth, where if you want to look at that, we have ex- opposites, cold and hot, uh, light and dark, what have you. We also need to have balance. So if we're going to have balance, you can't, it's kind of piggybacking off of what you said. We can't always be giving, giving, giving. We also have to, if you want to call it the universe, whatever people want to call it, we also have to be open to receiving too. Yes, 100%. Very important. This is a big thing with light workers too that I've noticed over the years mm-hmm. that they want to just give, give, and then, oh, okay, you know, here's a, yeah, no, no, good, uh, you know, they'll refuse anything that you give them. 
mm-hmm. again, you, you you're pegging it right on the head. It's it's a balance between giving and receiving, and a lot of people have mm-hmm. no idea how to receive. And I'll mm-hmm. say it this way properly. Uh, and within that definition, I mean that it's something that nurtures not only them but the other person in way of you know allowing them to give. Yeah. If you like to give, imagine a world where nobody wants anything you want to give. Well, what <laughs> they won't accept it. <laughs> they won't accept anything you give. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's not helping either of you, is it? Right? No, not at all. <laughs> now we got about a, you and I could talk for hours, and I love talking. I was so excited about you coming on tonight. Um, we got about just about a half hour left, but I've been dying to ask you because we barely delved into really deep paranormal and ET and stuff. But I, I want to ask your thoughts because I'm seeing this myself and hearing it from other people. Are you finding or or seeing that there seems to be a real increase in what is perceived to be? increased ufo slash et slash paranormal activity especially after say the last two years are you seeing or hearing that at all in ufology absolutely since 2017 mm-hmm. where the yeah. mass consciousness of people sort of shifted to the mainstream with you know the advent of those three videos uh i mean whether or not they're real and we we've gone over them many many times mm-hmm. I mean, god they're almost as popular as uh you know, the Bigfoot video there, you know, it's, it's, you're talking about point. the one where the little, the, the little, um, um, God, the name eludes me at the moment, which is not good for radio. And I apologize, but military, uh, is it the military video where they're chasing the whatever it is? Classic. Uh, it's not Gim because it looks like a gimbal. Come on. Somebody out there, you guys know the, uh, Bigfoot Come video on, that Dave. I'm talking about. I know about. you're the out classic there. Video shot by the two gentlemen. Uh, Bigfoot in the woods. At any rate, um, mm-hmm. you know, since 2017, this whole mass consciousness, you know, turning towards the world of esoterica, you follow being a gimbal. big part of it. It, it. There was a gimbal video for the ufology, and uh, it, there was um, another name for Patterson? the. No, he's talking about the, the big Patterson. One, Patterson. Thank you. Yes, yes, Patterson. Uh, Gimlet? Was that what it was? God damn, yeah, I didn't know you were asking for Patterson. I thought you were talking about the UFO videos. Okay, glad you No, 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 I knew, I knew those, but at the stupid mm-hmm. Bigfoot one always eludes me. Yeah, the me Patterson G- Gimbal, I think it is. Patterson Gimbal, isn't it? Uh, Chris will let us know. Chris will exactly tell us. What it is. But, Thanks, um, Chris. So the idea here is that, again, with more people being involved, you're going to see more in way of manifestation of this phenomenon coming into our reality because it doesn't just affect us individually. We see these things on mass, especially when it comes to UFOs. Now, I have a very slippery slope to traverse when it comes to ufology because I do hold the belief that many of what we uh, these crafts that we see in our skies, perhaps upwards of 80 percent, 90 percent of them are our back engineered reconnaissance material and crafts that we have figured out one way or another how to fly. Now, mm-hmm. how we've done that is another story, although it's very feasible. Even Bob Lazar has spoken to some mm-hmm. degree about this in way of how people were, again, empirically trying to figure out how certain things worked. Um, mm-hmm. We've heard of black projects where that's exactly what they're doing. They're pointing mm-hmm. things. They're clicking things. They're moving energetic fields, playing with EMF. Um, we could go into that sort of thing for hours on end. But long story short, they are doing it, and they have the ability and the funding somehow to you know continue this research. So, you know, again, the question really hangs in the air, uh, and I say that quite intentionally, as to what they're planning on doing with this technology overall. You can only fight each other until there's nobody left to fight. And if you create these uh, high technologies that 
purportedly have time traveling capabilities or are able to open a wormhole to traverse through our immediate space. How is that, you know, benefiting anybody but a very small group of people who, you know, can only do as much as they can with it within our own understanding? Yeah, I'm sure that they're colonizing other uh, planets out there. I mean, Proxima mm -hmm. B is uh, obviously been a big focus in talking about sustaining life. We are hearing about the back ends of what they want us to hear about or allowing us to hear about. So God knows what they really know, what they're doing. And I hate sitting on the side of conspiracy, but the truth is that there are a group of people who live very separately from us in the Absolutely. sense that we are really just uh you know the peons underneath them oh you just the, took the word out of my mind peons that's what i was thinking <laughs> we are the worker bees we are the uh colony underneath that's supporting them mm -hmm. and we do this through our everyday jobs i mean punk rock singers and and uh hip-hop artists about complaining about it for forever mm -hmm. uh and you know that's of course something that everybody has been looking at saying how can i make better use of my time instead of feeding it into a system that really just takes everything from me right so you know, going back to ufology and the paranormal and cryptozoology, we're seeing more in way of reports of people seeing this phenomenon, but even more significantly, we have more people who are not as afraid or they're abandoning their fear of coming out and talking about this because they've seen it on mainstream or they've talked about it around the water cooler. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know what, Jim? I actually, I saw something I couldn't identify in this guy when I was 16. Oh, really? You know, and next thing you know, it's just part of the jovial conversation of the day. That is sort of what we want in way of a first step. And I say it's preliminary because I think that, you know, it is touching a large group of people. But as fickle as we are, this information will come in. We'll hold on to it for a bit. We'll play with it. We'll juggle. We're like, oh, okay, that's cool. What's over here? And next thing you know, this gets thrown back behind the curtain. Kind of like but there are still people. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there are still people who are working very diligently <laughs> to, uh, you know, bring that out from behind the curtain, even as it's being tucked in uh, in certain ways. And you know, certainly uh, myself and the people that I work with are are right at that forefront of attempting to continue to bring out this information looking for anything late breaking that is progressive in the way of ufology the paranormal esoterics at large have you guys had anything really strange that's been sent in or that you feature because i've been doing a lot of research um for those of you who were in our new time i gotta remind people we are in our new time here at the angel rock on monday nights people keep thinking i've switched nights i haven't switched nights it's monday nights 5 p.m to 7 p.m uh 6 p.m to 8 p.m eastern but um i was off ill for a little while there i had quite the quite the viral bug, but I'm back and excited to be back. But, you know, I'm getting back into research and stuff. So I've sort of been checking out things like Nuke's top five, you know, he gets a lot of stuff sent into him. And mm -hmm. it really seems to be a real increase. Like there was a fascinating video I seen. Supposedly, it was a camera found on a trail, I want to say US or Canada out in the wilderness, they caught what I can only say, I now again, I am not an expert in this type of being, but it was a Wendigo. Like, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden something almost invisible, almost reminded me from Predator. I don't think this was made up either. I'll have to send it to you. See what you think, Michael. Mm -hmm. And they start screaming, like they are scared on this video and they're running. They were never found. And the video was found. The video footage was shown. You can barely see this creature. So I've been seeing a lot of that coming up, Wendigos. I've been seeing, um, or what are professed to be, I can't say they are with absolute 
you know, I don't think anybody's caught a real picture of something that's based on legend and lore. A lot of strange things like little, little people, a lot of fairy beings, a lot of really strange paranormal, a lot of alien or what we might classify as E.T. Caught on camera, caught on ring doorbell cameras, what have you. And again, it's a beautiful thing that we're opening up this conversation. And I wish that it could continue to be open, kind of with the paranormal having so much on TV. It's mm -hmm. really opened the conversation. But my whole point of why I'm saying what I'm saying is, like, do you believe that maybe some of this more nefarious stuff, because there's quite a bit of nefarious stuff I've seen as well. Is it more Tulpa-like that it's been created because of the generalized sort of lower vibrational, if you will, emotions that have been circulating the globe in the last couple of years? Or what's your, have you seen this kind of stuff yourself, any increase? Or what's your thoughts? We live in a predatorial universe. And okay. within that, the woods themselves are can be very predatorial. And we, mm -hmm. we look at this in way of Yosemite, Yosemite, sorry, got it the third time, National Park, um, mm -hmm. you know, Yellowstone. I mean, all of these different large bodies of woods encapsulate mysteries beyond what most people can fathom. Look at David Pilates and Missing 411 and the many books that he's read into and explored. These park officials will not talk. They will not provide lists of missing people. And if they do, it's for an exorbitant amount of money. I'm talking within the millions, okay? And we don't even know that that list is going to be comprehensive or anything that can really be applied to the research at the very end of the day. So why all the secrecy? They happen to know in one yeah. way, shape, or form what's out there. Now, is it something that, again, we can quantify? It may not be. And a lot of Native American cultures that have existed in these areas, they lived in harmony most times with these particular beings or whatever mm -hmm. it is that's out there. But in other circumstances, there was a learning process before they got to that point. And perhaps many on the uh, side of culture were taken in certain fashion. Maybe the Native Americans had actually hunted some of these things and were able to take it down. But you know, I, I come back to the whole evolution of how some of these creatures may have come about in way of what they are today, given that nobody's really disturbed them in their, you know, evolution the way that maybe even Darwin would have suggest. Um, you know, that being they just went a different direction than we did and became less physical as a result of the choices that they, you know, they made. So, you know, while we're very technological and we're rooted in this this very industrious, uh, you know, sort of setting mentality attitude, again, we're just physical beings, we're bodies, whatever, you know, the other creatures such as Bigfoot or Dogman or the Wendigo or, you know, even Skinwalkers sort of border that, though, because, yeah. you know, those technically are people, uh, you know, in certain clothing, if you will, okay, to say that in mm -hmm. that sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's an element there again going back to the predatory aspect that you know when these people go into the woods you are being watched uh in many cases and it may be the elementals that see you some of them they they don't want you in their area and if they no. deem you as a threatening energy they're yeah. going to do what any other wild animal reasonably would do and they'll attack you now mm -hmm. you know what that attack looks like i mean i've seen many different animal carcasses within the woods uh some of them i've seen naturally passing away maybe somebody got into a conflict you can see that there are certain predatory marks on the animal's carcass and then there are others that i simply can't explain even out here in massachusetts ah. uh in lemonster there uh, a, a buddy of mine had sent me um he stumbled across a kill site mm -hmm. and 
there were feathers. I'm sorry, it wasn't feathers. It was uh, deer fur from this clearing. It was just the whole thing was awash in deer fur. And it, I mean, it just seemed very uncharacteristic for something that was just hungry and didn't have any other motivation. It took the time it. to remove the fur. <laughs> it's that's a very good question and mm -hmm. it, you know it's not like chunks of flesh were you know thrown about everywhere and in some sort of feeding frenzy it, it seemed to be very uh swiftly taken right off of the body and then scattered in one way shape or form but what really kind of drew my attention was the carcass of a coyote that was very close by to this kill site and the thing had been completely smashed okay gutted and its body was twisted and contorted like a corkscrew all the way up to the head. Oh my goodness. Now what, Does what that? can really feasibly do this in the woods? I mean, we, we are very aware of the wildlife we have here in Massachusetts, but there doesn't seem to be anything logically that would pick up an animal and do this no. type of damage. If you're trying to kill it, whether it's for food or territory, you're going to keep it from moving. So, you know, that predator just does what it has to do. And, you know, next thing you know, the animal doesn't move and they lose interest and threat is gone. Why do what has been done to this particular animal? It just, wow. it doesn't seem to make sense. So you do see a lot of these sort of things as you go out into the field and you're sort of left to put these pieces of the puzzle together to, again, approach every logical, rational explanation first. And when none of that holds up, then you can start considering other possibilities mm -hmm. you know i can't even imagine because where i live i'm about six hours north of minneapolis minnesota i'm about 35 minutes away from the minnesota border and we're like smack dab right in the middle of canada so we have a lot of wilderness uh we have a crap load of paranormal activity well, we know my own house, but I've since realized the amount of people. Um, Michelle DeRoshi, like I mentioned earlier, she and I'm going to give her a shout out too. She's our station manager. Mm -hmm. She's done such a great job. She's done so much work. She plus doing the show two nights of her own. And Joe Montaldo, we were talking to Joe before. Give him a shout out for giving us this wonderful platform to have these kind of discussions. But um, she's been through Thunder Bay because she's been on so many different tv shows and what have you she actually commented on our paranormal survivor episode i didn't know her at the time neither did Dell, but we've since met her we're so grateful because she's so awesome but she even has admitted oh yeah thunder bay holy crap that place is a hot bit of activity but <laughs> why like why is it but we have a lot of indigenous first nation people here as well is that part of the legend and lore? Is it because we're on a body of water? We're right on the edge of Lake Superior. Like, what is it? Um, Dave's got a question for you. He says, Michael, do you think the energy in the Bridgewater Triangle, or where do you think it uh, originated? Uh, native culture, early colonists, or older? I think, hands down, it's much older. And I think that the think so Algonquin Indians and the uh, Wampanoag who were there certainly were in tune with those energies and as i mentioned before over time we're able to sort of create some sort of uh, alliance with those energies mm -hmm. if we look at montauk for example you know people talk about the that name project, again <laughs> all, all the weird things that have happened down there that even aren't related to the project itself just these crazy anomalies and uh, you know the people that it, it's drawn uh alistair crowley uh, always a certain certain character to keep in, in interest here um we know that that particular stretch of land was revered for the spirituality that it encased. And there were many 
high um, vibrational spirits that were presiding over there. I mean, there's there's the whole idea that there are pyramids uh, somewhere down there within not only the water itself of, uh, around Montauk, but oh, on it. Montauk itself. I, I actually visited one of these uh, sites with Peter Moon and uh, Montauk is Strange um, during the filming of the Montauk uh, video that I had put out. But, you know, just to know that there is a history that goes much further back than even what we would consider to be the Clovis people before the Native Americans that were here in, you know, what we know as America uh, and all up into Canada. And of course, you know, the Bering Strait was uh, certainly mentioned many times in way of how some of these people would get over here, but neither here nor there. Uh, these places are certainly magical. Now, what ends up happening is that you might have an area that is very sacred in way of a positive push or some sort of energy and way of healing. There were healing temples on the earth at one time. Some people say during the time of Atlantis, I'd say that this was, you know, not just the end of it in Atlantis. I, I still think that they were working with healing temples for many years afterwards. Mm -hmm. These areas become tainted with the level of consciousness or i should say colored with the level of consciousness of the inhabitants that yeah. uh take on those areas so you have native americans who are respectful and want to live in harmony with the earth so you're going to have you know not necessarily this gravity in way negativity but then you have you know the settlers come in and you know all of a sudden king philip's war is created and out of the five million people that lived in america before the white man came within three, four years, five years, you have a quarter of that population left. that blood goes into the soil. If Absolutely. there is a vortex or a portal that's there, then this is being colored as well. So if you go into the Bridgewater Triangle and you go into the Hockamock Swamp, yes, there is this impending sense of solitude and constriction because, you know, walking along those paths, Dave, as you may have as well, um, you know, everything's very grown in. It, it's very dense. You know, there's no traversing off that trail. There's water everywhere, sinkholes, quicksand, you name it. So, again, the land itself is not very traversable, but the Native Americans actually hit during King Philip's War in this particular area uh, specifically. And unfortunately, as a result, they were also slaughtered there. And a lot of innocent people that really had nothing to do with that war were killed in the Hockamock Swamp. So, again, I feel like this is a you know, witch's cauldron and wave of a vortex. If you're adding that, type of energy in there it certainly again colors whatever energy is there and is amplified because that's that's what the whole that's what the area is about it's about the amplification of that energy and again it's up to us how we're going to utilize that natural uh resource that has always been there for us but our unconsciousness and our low vibrational thoughts and attitudes bring about something less desirable rather than the other way around and activities because you know what you actually kind of just explained what i was explaining about where i live because the hudson's bay uh company and the whole thing they all develop right on the shores of our city here we used to be two cities fort william and port arthur and they've amalgamated but we mm -hmm. have a historical park here called old fort william that reenacts all that happened between uh the I want to say soldiers, I guess, and merchants and mm -hmm. stuff from the UK that came over. Again, same thing happened. A lot of innocent blood was shed because of wars between, I believe, the Cree and Ojibwe Indian. Ojibwe tribe is the main tribe here in the area I live, but there's quite a bit of legend. We have a falls called uh, Kakabaka Falls, 
sorry, mm -hmm. cat hair. It's almost, um, it's been called uh, Little Niagara in the north. And then we have the Sleeping Giant. Now the Sleeping Giant is an incredible sight to see. It looks like an actual mountainous giant sleeping. But there's legend in there's a, one of the world's biggest silver mines in Lake Superior. Often it's called Rossport. And when you get into the legend, uh, and I won't go through it tonight, but when you get into the legend of what they're both associated. They're on opposite sides of our city. Um, it's called the legend of Nanabijou or the Sleeping Giant or Gichigumi. And then the Kekebeka Falls, is they're intertwined and related. But the reason I mention it is... Part of the story that goes with the legend is that anybody that tries to access the silver mine because it's being protected by the giant that's laying there, the mountainous giant, um, they lose their life. And nobody has been able to access that silver mine. It is underwater. You can see into some of the mine shafts where people have tried to get in there. Nobody's been able to harvest it because of it. So there's got to be something to it. Mm -hmm. They certainly hold a certain energy. There's a gate there. There's a key. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know what? You may not possess it, although mm -hmm. you may be able to see the gate. Uh, you know, Adverus has certainly brought us to different places in the world. And of course, most mm -hmm. times it's not somewhere pleasant. Uh, and, you know, the, the common disrespect that people would certainly show when it comes to untold riches under some sort of sacred spot, you know, it would be nothing for those folks to just yeah. jump on there with a uh, backhoe and, you know, start decimating things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are watcher spirits and, you know, yep. keepers of these gates excuse me, for a certain reason. And perhaps it's not the silver that they're really protecting. It's something much older, something much more in the way of energy that's down there. And we just don't have the ability or capability to either e uh, sorry, either see this or even utilize it to whatever extent we might be able to. Plus, I think that we need to respect the legend and lore of the land, no matter where you be, especially when it comes, I believe, from First Nations, because mm -hmm. I do believe they were the keepers of the land long before we, you know, whether you want to call whatever we are, Caucasian, from, you know, the old world, whatever it is, they lived here first. And like you said, I truly believe exactly what you said, Michael, that they've learned to live harmoniously with uh, the earth, with the great spirit, with the animals. I love that when, you know, with the old traditions of First Nations people, that they hunted only what they needed and every part of the animal is used. They were thanked for their sacrifice. Those are things I think we all could learn from and respect. Mm -hmm. um, Dave just is, remembering. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, go no, ahead. That was it. That was all. Oh, I was just going to say, Dave asked, what about the energy in the Northeast being from the fall of Atlantis? That's a question he's asking you. Uh, you'd have to be a little more specific, uh, Dave, I think, because when the uh, fall of Atlantis happened, I think whatever was there in wave energy sort of rippled throughout the entire planet. So if you're seeing something in the Northeast and wave energy that reminds you of Atlantis, you know, let me know what you're thinking of. He's uh, really, he's been part of the Oak Island series on TV and he's very, very, very knowledgeable about that area and parcel of land but he lives i believe mm -hmm. in southern u.s i won't say your state dave i know where you live but i won't say that unless you you want to mention it just to maintain uh, some anonymity for you there he's been on my show before but uh i'm sure he'll type it in here but sure, uh sure. yeah he's a pretty knowledgeable guy he does uh astrology a little bit different compared to what most people do he's got a biology background he's a really interesting guy to talk to 
I'd be curious, Dave, to uh, know what you were doing in the Bridgewater Triangle if you're from down south. <laughs> I don't think he's originally from there. I think that's just where he lives right now, but he oh, can God. probably answer that. So he said, trying to figure out why the Northeast has such strong energy. It's definitely pre-native, he believes. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you on that, Dave. Uh, although I do think that, you know, the, being the most accepted meeting point you know, we have Plymouth Rock, you have Jamestown, all these first colonies that came in. I think a lot of what the settlers brought, you know, we're still feeling in way of residual effect today. And again, I, I certainly do think that that energy tainted a lot of what was here in a natural sense. I mean, they brought doctrine. They brought rigidity. Um, you know, they, they brought a sense of finite uh, existence, really. I mean, and, and they would you know, bring this forth with the religion, superstitions, other ideologies that were peripheral, and they would impose this on other people. So there was a lot in way, not just the, you know, physical degradation that we saw, but, you know, a mental energy, a spiritual energy that was caved in as a result of the arrival of these pilgrims and others. Um, but you know what? I mean, it's hard to really say at the end of the day because the Norse were known to be here. The Phoenicians were also here. Gregorian monks were here. And they all established their own areas of residence. And today we still follow some of those and look at them as mini Stonehenges. What happened there? I mean, what were they utilizing? What did they know in way of stumbling upon something brand new within an, an unexplored space that they could identify and say, hey, we can utilize this in way of a natural experience or for whatever, you know, reason or impetus they had behind them to uh you know go on those expeditions most times it was to escape religious persecution right so people always wanted to have their own ideas of how the world worked they didn't want to be impeded by other cultures as we've so oftentimes done to each other but at the end of the day we don't really know uh what their intention was we can only look at the history what they've left behind which has been, you know, scored over a multitude of times Absolutely. with all different cultures. So it makes it very difficult to ascertain anything directly about, you know, who was here first and who was utilizing the land in a way that, you know, we see this or feel this energy. But I have to tell you, Dave, I think with the research and persistence, we can find some answers for that. Or find a good remote viewer that was actually able to, with any degree of accuracy, it wouldn't be 100%, but... There are people out there that, again, like you said, they just don't go forward or into present time. We can also go back in time. So that might be something interesting. It just hit me when you were saying that. I thought, I wonder if he could find somebody that would be able to. You know, now again, we couldn't say with 100% accuracy that they were absolutely accurate, but it would certainly be some food for thought, wouldn't it? It'd be somewhere to start. And, yeah. you know, within that research, we might find some support for that and uh that would be curious dave mentions here you'd be happy to join on a podcast we could talk about new england it would be great well absolutely it'd be great my friend please reach out to me uh shoot me an email if you would dark hour paranormal live at gmail.com and uh I'll, I'll certainly be waiting for your email my friend. i was gonna say i can connect you guys but you just took care of it because i talk to dave all the time <laughs> fantastic so, either way as long as we yeah. get in touch <laughs> yeah i know dave's actually been starting a little bit of a podcast i believe he has dave so feel free to put the name in the uh, chat we are almost out of time michael it always goes oh, by way too goodness. quick with you it always does it always does laura lee I know. He says he'll send you an email today. So, okay. So let's talk about where they can find Dark Hour and all the podcasts you're working with, wherever you want to share with people right now, please go ahead so they can find your fantastic podcasts. 
that you do and all the work that you work with the uh, it's, it's their face moon and uh, goof on right Yes. Well, thank you very much, Laura Lee. I very much appreciated being here and having a lovely conversation. I love Mm -hmm. coming on uh, and enjoying this time with you. Uh, Yes, you you can. My pleasure. You can find me at Dark Hour, one word, paranormal. Again, Dark Hour Paranormal on YouTube. That is the the father channel. And I'm also working with uh, Goofon, as we've we've mentioned, Rich Giordano. We are very, very good friends. And, of course, work closely within our fields. Uh, Third Phase of Moon just released its their new documentary above top secret oh, I guess this check is it out. number one on amazon prime and other uh live awesome. streaming video platforms in addition uh there's another fantastic movie that just came out okay and this is called alien abduction awakening which you can also find Ooh. on amazon uh Absolutely incredible movie. I had the director on the show a couple weeks ago. It was a fantastic interview. I've seen the movie. I implore you to go and check that out as well. Uh, I'm also managing Dr. J Radio Live's channel. Uh, We're going to be working on that a little bit more readily as the months press on. Of course, Manny from Area 503, close friends, we're working together. There's a lot happening. But what I can tell you all who are interested in following what I'm doing is that coming up uh, for the rest of this year, I'm looking to record two full-length documentaries, one covering the Salem Witch Trials, which actually began in Hartford, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. That'll be an interesting one. I have a few historians who'd like to chime in on that. So, you know, enrich some of the uh, information that we're made. Not, uh, how do I want to say this? It wasn't made uh, a focus and yet it's still very integral to understanding what happened. And I will be returning to Montauk uh, Camp Hero in August to film another uh, documentary focused on the survivors of that project. And uh, within that time period is what I'll say for the moment. Wow, you holy cow, Michael, you are so busy there. Wow, I gotta have you back on again. It's gonna be hard to kneel down, guys, but he's amazing. Please check out his program, all his podcasting, what he's involved with. I want to thank you for being here most gratefully, Michael, as always. I want to let you guys know too that you can find me if you ever want to book a reading, healing, mentorship. You got a a show idea, a guest idea, please get a hold of me on facebook.com forward slash angel rock. Have two groups on Facebook, um Paranormal University for all things paranormal and the Angel Rocker Tribe for some of the esoteric things we talked about this evening, more spiritually based, not religious, spiritually based. I will be back next week, same time, same space, Monday night to Angel Rock. I believe unless something changes, I'm going to try to up Upload. I, I've been talking about it for weeks. We've got to ha- have you guys see this. The interview I did with Garnet Schulhauser met his spirit guide on the side of the road, and he's had many interesting, phenomenal uh, astral travels with his spirit guide, Albert, Council Wisdom, what happens when we die. We talked about all kinds of things in that interview. Again, Michael, love you, love you, love you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to everybody Thank you, that's Laura here. Lee. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be. We will see you next Monday. Please stay tuned. We've got great programming left. We've got um, the Horsefly Chronicles coming up right now in about four minutes after this. Night, Debbie. Thank you to everybody that tuned in. Dave, we got, uh, quickly, I want to give them a quick shout out. Who else have we got here? Chris Carr and Kristen from Dark Horse Paranormal, Alien Believers, and of course, Dave Petrella. Uh, Petrella. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later. Ciao.